Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The History Channel Original Podcast. It's the perfect cold and creamy summer treat. Whether in a cone or sundae or the hugely popular blizzard, Dairy Queen soft serve is almost synonymous with summer. Dairy Queen to American ice cream is what McDonald's is to American hamburgers. It's the mark by which everyone else is measured. That's Jason Leibig, candy and snack food historian. Before soft serve captivated Americans' taste buds, it was just a hunch by a businessman named John McCullough. In the late 1930s, McCullough and his son were selling hard pack ice cream to local retail stores in Illinois. It was ice cream packaged in big tubs and scooped out by hand, and it was called hard pack for a reason. Before soft serve came on the scene, ice cream was served below zero. It was very hot, it was very cold. This is Nadia Arumagam, a food writer and editor. She says McCullough had some strong opinions about the ice cream making process. They were actually in the wholesale ice cream mixing business. And they had a process by which they would create softly set ice cream, which they would then decant into containers and then freeze these containers at sub-zero temperatures until the ice cream was really, really hard. Now, John McCullough was a firm believer that this was all wrong. McCullough thought that with some small tweaks, the ice cream could taste a lot better. Like instead of serving ice cream at a cold, hard five degrees, what if we made it warmer and softer? He believed that the best way to consume ice cream was straight out of the machine, soft set, and at a slightly warmer temperature of 23 degrees Fahrenheit. He thought the warmer temperatures brought out the flavor of the ice cream. If you were to try really hot ice cream, really super cold ice cream next to soft ice cream, you would immediately realize that you're able to taste the flavors more abundantly when the ice cream is at a warmer temperature. At the time, ice cream was a huge hit. It had grown in popularity thanks in part to prohibition. Soda fountains rose in popularity. And with that, obviously, ice cream, it suddenly became the legal indulgent treat for everyone. I mean, without alcohol, what else would consumers spend their extra income on? Nearly every town had soda fountains or ice cream parlors that served the treat. But McCullough wanted to shake up the industry, or swirl it up, if you will. So he and his son set off on a mission to make the first soft-serve ice cream. And it would only take him two years. His dream came true with the launch of the world's first Dairy Queen in 1940. This is The Food That Built America. Stories of innovation, taste, and good eats. Today, we'll take you back to the 1940s and follow how soft serve became the queen of dairy. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Making ice cream has always been pretty simple. Maybe you did it in high school chemistry or at home. Back in the 1930s, they made it in two basic stages. First, they whipped up a mixture of cream, sugar, and flavoring. Then it was frozen solid so that it was ready for transportation. But McCullough and his son had an idea for a softer, 
warmer ice cream. Liebig again. So John is always tasting and testing. And as they're getting the hard pack ice cream ready, it comes out of the churn at 23 degrees. It's not yet fully frozen. And John's testing it as it comes out of the churn at this warmer temperature. And he's like, wow, this is really good. The, the texture and flavor experience is fantastic. So he identifies that as something that he can probably sell. And soon enough, they were ready to test it with the public. So they organized an all-you-can-eat ice cream sale. This is Michael Heinzinger, a professor at Joliet Junior College. Well, at their first public tasting, which was located in Kankakee, Illinois, August 4th, 1938, uh, it almost caused a riot because people just couldn't get enough. So they sold out 1,600 servings in two hours. The stuff was literally flying off the cones. However they served it, it was flying out of that store. The product was a certifiable hit. It was creamier, more flavorful, and like nothing anyone had ever tasted before. But making it, that was a whole other issue. For their public taste test, they were using a batch freezer that was made for hard pack ice cream. The only reason it worked for the event that they had is they could sell it quick and they could sell it pretty much nonstop. They had to just keep running the machine so that the stuff wouldn't get frozen. They had to figure out a way to keep this ice cream at this sort of mid-ground, this mid-level frozen place. And at that point, they didn't know how to do it. So once they ran out, they couldn't just go and start making more. They had to stop because it would take them hours and hours and hours to be able to serve more. The batch freezer meant they could only make a set amount of soft serve at a time. McCullough needed a new type of freezer that could continuously churn out the ice cream. Now, I'm sure you've seen these machines in any place that serves soft serve. The kind with the lever that lets you release exactly the amount you want. We see these machines today every time we go into a, a place that sells soft serve ice cream, sometimes at certain restaurants. In 1938, this did not exist. The McCulloughs tried finding manufacturing partners to build it from scratch. They were having no luck. Finally, in 1939, as he was leafing through the Chicago Tribune, John McCullough saw something. He saw an ad for a frozen custard machine by a man called Harry Oltz, who sold frozen custard out of a machine that he actually created himself. And he was able to get a patent for this machine, which enabled him to then sell it onto others. Frozen custard included egg yolks and was denser than the soft serve the McCulloughs were making. But they still thought the machine would do the trick. The McCulloughs and Oltz made a deal, says Heinzinger. The contract was signed giving the McCulloughs the rights to use Harry Oltz's special freezer in Illinois, Wisconsin, and all states west of the Mississippi. The McCulloughs thought their soft serve struggles were over. But once they got going... So John McCullough and his son actually discovered that the machine wasn't quite right for their recipe. Because it was for frozen custard specifically, but they had an idea, reduce the amount of butterfat in their recipe to adjust the texture. Now, the reduction in fat enabled a lot more air to be whipped into the mixture, which allowed it to become stiffer and hold its shape more. So the end product was lighter and airier. Their new formula worked. The machine was a powerhouse, and the process was efficient. So when it comes to how soft serve is actually made in the, in the machine, the first step is the liquid mixture is poured into the holding compartment of the freezing machine. And then a small portion of this liquid is flowed into a cylindrical freezing chamber. 
that has a beater with a scraper inside. Now, this beater rotates and whips air into the liquid as it freezes it. And after about 15 minutes, it achieves the ultimate soft serve set and is ready to be dispensed. The soft serve was ready to actually be served. The McCulloughs opened their first Dairy Queen store in 1940 in Joliet, Illinois. John McCullough always would comment that the cow is the queen of the dairy industry. And therefore, he went on and named his store Dairy Queen, hoping it would be the queen of dairy products. The menu was limited to soft-serve cones, pints, quarts, and sundaes. When the first few Dairy Queens opened in the early 1940s, it was a phenomenon. People wondered, they were curious, why are these lines out the door? And eventually, when they tried the soft-serve ice cream, they were blown away. They had never seen anything like it. People were falling over each other for the vanilla cone with the curl on top. I'm the Dairy Queen, won't you come with me along the milkshake way? I've got lots of good surprises, fresh and yummy for you every day. There are malts and shakes and Sundays too, whenever you stop. And of course, your very, very favorite, the cone with the curl on top. They are offering this revolutionary product, soft serve, and they're only offering one flavor, vanilla. It's a nickel for a triple, you know, cone. It's a 10 cents for a five stack. You know, they've got pints for like 20, 35 cents. I mean, they are selling the heck out of soft serve. And the McCulloughs knew they needed to strike while the iron was hot. Well, the McCulloughs wanted to expand, but at the time, there wasn't really such a thing as franchising in the fast food industry. Dairy Queen was one of the pioneers, and they start breaking ground on new stores. They were on a rocket to success. And then, the country went to war. Right when Dairy Queen was gaining some traction in the early 1940s, World War II broke out, and that led to not only the rationing of staples such as milk and sugar that were necessary for the ice cream mix, but also the machines themselves, the freezers, that they had worked so hard to develop, could not be produced during the war because these parts to the machine had to go to the war effort. So that really stalled the growth of Dairy Queen between 1942 and 1945. But the military was also offering up ice cream as a morale booster to its soldiers. They had pop-up ice cream factories on the front lines. And the U.S. Navy even spent a million dollars to convert a concrete barge into a floating ice cream factory. This would all mean a surge in demand post-war. But back on the home front, with limited supplies, the McCulloughs could only open their stores for a few hours a day before running out of product. While they were getting by, the McCulloughs didn't know if this soft-serve thing would stand the test of time. Soon, an unexpected newcomer would shake it all up. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Harry Eckstein was a true entrepreneur. He is considered the father of franchising. Axeen had worked for a farm manufacturing company, and one day in Moline, Illinois... He noticed the long lines out the door of the Moline Dairy Queen, which was the second Dairy Queen location, and he commented to his wife, what's going on here? Are they selling nylons? Nylons or soft serve, didn't matter. Axeen wanted in. Harry had the long-term financial vision that the McCulloughs lacked. Axine was an innovative businessman. He came up with an early system of franchising. Franchising is when you sell the name and license to your product. People can open their own restaurant, paying a fee and royalties for the right to do business under your name and system. Ray Kroc actually was introduced to the franchising system through Dairy Queen. Yeah, Ray Kroc of McDonald's. Of course, we all know how McDonald's took franchising to a new level. But in the 40s, franchising was still a very new concept in food, and Axine was at the forefront. Dairy Queen had been dabbling in it, but not to great success. When they sign these franchise agreements, there's no consistency in what even their Dairy Queens are going to offer. There wasn't a lot of oversight. The McCulloughs did not really believe in formal contracts. A lot of times, John McCullough's contracts were written on paper sacks or napkins. Not the greatest system for growing a business. McCullough also sold territories for an upfront cost to franchises, rather than charging them for royalties or a share of their profits. Axine changed all that. Harry Axine really takes control and tries to centralize the franchising system. Instead of selling the territory rights, which allowed operators to use the machines and the Dairy Queen name, Harry Axine doubled down on this and required operators and franchisees to pay royalties as well. His new system seemed to be working. At the end of uh, 1945, the last year of the war, there were eight Dairy Queen franchises. The next year, there were 17. The next year, in 1947, there were 100. And there were thousands in the 1950s. By 1950, the number of DQ stores had grown to 3,000. Axine had the Midas touch. And DQ was exploding, says Leibach. Soft serve was such a great representation of where America was at the time. You know, you had, you had all these soldiers coming back from World War II. Some of them were wanting to become entrepreneurs, starting businesses. They were trying to get franchises, but they were also taking their families out and showing them new things. The economy was booming for a lot of people, and they wanted new treats. They wanted this magical new confection. Axine was all about efficiency, even down to the cone he wanted Dairy Queen to use. They had been using pointy bottom cones, but Axine found another cone on the market he thought would work better. Harry Axine realized that the move to the flat bottom cone 
was wise because it made the process more efficient. Several cones could be lined up next to each other, the spigot could be pulled, and the ice cream could be dispensed a lot more rapidly and consistently. Switching to the new cone was a simple decision, but it had a major impact. Harry Axing's innovation of the flat bottom cone was a huge financial savings to the company and allowed employees to be more efficient, lower overhead costs, and it turned out to save countless dollars in the long run. The partnership between Axine and the McCulloughs was a game changer for the business. By now, the McCulloughs had sold 50% of Dairy Queen to Harry Axine. But Axine's vision soon grew bigger than its bosses, and it would ultimately lead to Dairy Queen's biggest competition. It all started just like it did on day one, with a freezer. Harry and Alex McCullough had a disagreement about the use of a new type of automatic freezer. Axine had met someone who had developed a new automatic freezer that was smaller and more efficient, and Axine wanted it in all of Dairy Queen's stores. Harry Axine pitches them on a more efficient soft serve machine. And he really pitches hard. He thinks it's going to allow them to go into more markets than they ever have been before. It's going to allow them to expand in rates they haven't before. But neither the McCulloughs nor the franchisees were buying it. Dairy Queen was on a roll. Why change things now? What they really want to focus on is consistency of experience throughout their stores. Axine thinks they're missing the boat, thinks this is a huge opportunity. So at a certain point, out of frustration, out of a desire to avail himself of this great invention, he strikes out on his own. And he creates what would end up becoming the biggest competitor, Dairy Queen, Tasty Freeze. So they created their own enemy. For Axine, it was a wise move. So essentially, Harry made a genius business move because he still had legal control over many Dairy Queen territories, which he could profit from, and then founded Tasty Freeze on top of it. So while he is directly competing with Dairy Queen, he is also able to profit from his former work at Dairy Queen. Yep, he was profiting from both Dairy Queen and his new venture, Tasty Freeze. Double dipping, if you will. And with the new competition, Dairy Queen needed to shake things up. And it really creates a nuclear arms race of ice cream, right? So Dairy Queen and Tasty Freeze are going back and forth. Dairy Queen, who when they opened, they were satisfied with just one flavor, vanilla soft serve. Um, Once they get into the 50s, they start expanding to try to compete. They come up with shakes. They start doing their own shakes. They do banana splits. So they're trying to innovate and create ways to outdo Tasty Freeze. Milkshakes, malts, banana splits. Dairy Queen was spreading its wings. And finally, they decide to do the unthinkable. Offer a food menu. They start trying to create their brazier, which is an expansion of the Dairy Queen concept that includes actual burgers and fries. So you're talking about an actual restaurant experience. And that was one of their big innovations as well. A brazier is a word for a type of grill. Dairy Queen kitchens across the U.S. were refitted with a charcoal grill, standardizing how hot food items were made. Now remember, all DQ and the McCulloughs knew was ice cream. McDonald's, Wendy's, they did burgers. This guy didn't come from that space. They were making soft-serve ice cream. And now you're going to make a full menu of hot food? That's a big leap. And that's also a huge risk. But it paid off for them handsomely. 
In the late 50s, the brazier is introduced in Georgia. The menu included burgers, hot dogs, and french fries. Its sales in the state soon surpassed that of soft serve, and the move to serve food was one that stuck to this day. While Dairy Queen continued to evolve, its founders wouldn't be coming along for the ride. The McCullough's story ends in 1962 when the third generation of McCullough's sells for $1.5 million in cash his interest in Dairy Queen. And ultimately, they no longer held a stake in the company that they helped found. Even without its founders, DQ kept putting out hits. And most famously in 1985, The Blizzard. It's the newest treat from Dairy Queen. The Blizzard. The delicious new Dairy Queen Blizzard. The treat's so thick you gotta spoon it up. The Blizzard is now their best-selling menu item, with flavors like Oreo Dirt Pie and Girl Scout Thin Mints. Dairy Queen has certainly come a long way since the vanilla cone in 1940. Today, Dairy Queen has almost 7,000 locations globally. As for Tasty Freeze, it has just four. And at Dairy Queen, customers are beyond spoiled with choice, from 17 Blizzard combinations to dip cones, cakes, and slushies. One of my all-time favorite transcendence treats has to be the Dairy Queen Cotton Candy Blizzard. This thing only comes out in summer. And I rushed down there to get it. I waited in line. As soon as I get up to the front desk, I was like, I'd like a cotton candy blizzard, please. They said, we're all out. But he was able to track it down a year later. It was uh, the most transcendently orgasmic, flavorful experience I'd ever had. There were little cotton candy crunchies. The ice cream tasted like cotton candy. It was so good. I cry and weep almost thinking about it. I would have it every day if I could. And those memories are what keep people coming back to a simpler, more innocent time when our biggest concern was getting ice cream. If you like this podcast, then you'll love watching the Food That Built America TV series on the History Channel. Go to history.com to find out how you can watch the Food That Built America today. The Food That Built America is hosted by me, Jonathan Hirsch. At the History Channel, our executive producers are Jesse Katz, Mary Donahue, and Jim Pascarella. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. From Neon Hum Media, our executive producer is me. The series is produced by Muna Danish and Kate Mishkin. Our associate producers are Chloe Chobel and Rufaro Faith. Our editor is Maura Waltz. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Sam Baer and Josh Hahn are our mix engineers. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. And fact-checking by Naomi Barr. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.